be seated. Thank you. Those of you who have had children, and we've all been children, so we can identify with this from one perspective or another, remember that when a child is being brought up, you teach them, you discipline them, you protect them, you pray for them, you do all that you can to uh, prepare them to be sent out into the world, that in many ways they, they might be somewhat vulnerable. I remember <clears throat> my daughter Terry's wedding day. Uh, I not only did the service, but I walked her up the aisle and gave her away. <coughs> Excuse me. And I remember the feeling in giving her away. And I, I wanted to say to that young man standing on the platform, you touch my daughter. <laughs> you know, you do... You do all that you can, but there's a time when you have to let go, and it's up to them. In the passage that we're looking at today, excuse me, i got a ticklish throat today. The passage that we're looking at today, Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out into the world because he's leaving now. He has uh, prayed for them, he's mentored them, he's discipled them, he's taught them, he's provided all kinds of examples for them, but now is the time when he sends them out. So you may remember in the scriptures many times where Jesus said, it's not yet the time. Someone would try and get him to do something. He'd say, no, it's not my time yet. Now it's his time. This is why he came to earth. For what's about to happen on the cross. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Lord, please help my voice today. <coughs> Matthew chapter 26 beginning in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out 30 pieces of silver. <coughs> From then on, Judas watched or an opportunity to hand him over, obviously, speaking of, of Jesus. <clears throat> On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. 
So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just going to have to drink a little bit once in a while, I guess. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, <coughs> one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to the Lord, one after another, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. So I want to give you three snapshots today of pride. <clears throat> pride is really at the core of all sin. I know, I've got it, I understand, I can handle it myself, you know, those kinds of things. So notice the first of three phrases about pride. Number one is, not me, no way, I could never do that. So three years, the disciples have watched Jesus, he's warned them, he's taught them, he's provided miracles for them. Now he warns, one of you will betray me. And we know the response of two people. First of all, Judas. Judas says, not me. And yet, he walked out the door <clears throat> and sold Jesus out for 30 coins. And then in the garden, you remember, I mean, I, I can't even imagine this. He walked over and kissed Jesus on the cheek identifying him to those who would now take him and crucify him. Judas is kind of the ultimate betrayer. betrayer. This is the ultimate betrayal. He says, not me, but Jesus says, yeah, it's you. Then, of course, Peter is quite an example of the pride of overconfidence. Jesus said, one of you will deny me, and Peter says, well, not me. He's very confident. He couldn't imagine himself betraying Jesus, and yet he did. Caution by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Can you imagine yourself failing the Lord? Can you imagine yourself in a place where you would deny that you even know him? If you can't, maybe you're deceived. If it could happen to Peter, who was the closest to Jesus, or one of the ones who was the closest to Jesus. Or can you imagine... Betraying your wife, or betraying your husband, or betraying your best friend. No, I could never do that. When I was uh, working in the grocery store, 
I uh, showed up for work one day and the assistant manager had just been fired for stealing. I couldn't believe it. We didn't know it, but over the past several months, the manager had been firing one person at a time using the process of elimination to find out who was taking money out of the till every Wednesday morning or every Wednesday. So he'd identify the checker, this checker worked in this check stand on this day, this day, and this day must be them. He'd fire them. Just kept going on. Well, this checker worked on that check stand this day, this day, it must, must be them. I, I think he fired three people. Finally, he fired the assistant manager. <clears throat> the assistant manager knew that he didn't do it. So he thought and thought and thought and thought, how could this possibly happen? Well, what was happening was that every Wednesday morning when the assistant manager came in to open the store, he would get all the check stands ready, get all the tills full and ready to go, and then he would go to the back room to turn the lights on. It took him probably 30 seconds to a minute. Go back, turn the lights on, come back out, and open the store. Well, come to fi he figured out, finally, there was only one person in the store early in the morning on Wednesdays other than himself, it was the produce manager. He would watch for Harold to go in the back room, turn the lights on, and when he headed for the back room, he'd go over and take 20 or $40 out of the till and put it in his pocket. There are things that I'm sure you have done that you couldn't have imagined yourself doing. The danger is that we would get careless let our guard down. And the caution of Peter is, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. I don't mean to say this to strike fear in you, but to strike caution in you for sure. Satan is watching you. His demons are watching you. How can I trip them up? How can I cause them to falter? And if we don't, stay alert, keep our guard up, walk in humility. Lord, I know I could fail. Please protect me. Please guard me. Then he can draw us in. The second snapshot of pride is I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to do something great. Have you ever thought that? First of all, Jesus cautioned the disciples, then he challenged the disciples. While they're eating the Passover, he talked about one of them betraying him. Luke 22, beginning of verse 20, says this, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them might be the one who did this. 
Now, this is incredible. Jesus is talking about their potential failure. And a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So God left heaven, he came to earth, and he came to serve. Now, you may have heard me say it before or someone else, that the seating arrangement at the table was that the most important person would be on the end of the table, the second most important would be on his right, and the third most important on his left, and then it would alternate back and forth. So you knew the pecking order at the table. They argued about who is the greatest. So, I don't know how much you've struggled with this, but I'm sure there at some points in your life where you wanted to be great, you wanted to be recognized, you wanted to be in control, you wanted to compare favorably with other people. We all like to feel a little bit better than another person. But what price do we have to pay to get there? What causes us to want to be great? Money, power, prestige, privileges. We want to be in control. We want to be in charge. But Jesus said, I came. He's the greatest one. I came to serve. So I thought about this a few days ago. I've given it some thought before, but it was a little deeper level this time. When I was running a grocery store, I looked back and thought, how different would my relationships with my employees have been if I would have viewed myself as being there to serve them? Now, obviously, they work worked for me and I paid them to do that as much as I could. But what if those high school kids that were stocking the shelves every morning, rather than me trying to get out of them as much as I could, what if I would have given myself to help them become the best that they could be? Mentor them, disciple them, pray for them, help them, serve them. In other words, the focus would be upon me helping them grow rather than me being in control. How much would that have changed my relationships? And I have to say to you, a lot. A lot. Did I teach them anything? Of course I did, but it was mostly about control. Even my time at Faith Chapel, I had, I had 60 staff members at one point. How much would my relationships have been different if I would have, rather than just giving them a job to do and they go their way, that I would on a regular basis invest in them, serve them, mentor them, disciple them, help them become everything that they could be? But it would have changed some relationships. I hope I do that here. I try to. 
Serving means investing in others rather than taking credit or power or control for ourselves. Notice the phrase, always remember when you're in charge of others, it's not what you can get out of them. It's what can I invest in them to help them be all that they can be. So are you a boss? Are you in charge of others in any way? Just kind of reverse the mindset. I want to control them. I don't want to get out of them everything I can get out of them, but I want to give them everything that I can give them to help them grow and flourish. It'll not only serve them, but it'll serve you as well, ultimately in the end. Notice these words Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, top-down leadership, control, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to see what he could get out of us. He came to invest in us and give his life for us. Christian leadership is not top-down. It's to serve those who lead so that they may be successful. I hope that's helpful to you. It's a real role reversal, a real switch of ideas. The third snapshot of pride is, I know what I'm doing, don't tell me. However, I run across that a lot. I had one staff member at one point, and he was very, very smart and very good at what he did, but anytime you tried to give him input, it was like, I know what I'm doing, tell me. Simon, Simon, Satan has sifted you, has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. In other words, he wasn't listening. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So he cautioned them, he challenged them, they were in a position of overconfidence. He said, Peter, stay on your toes. Watch out. Be alert. No. It's no problem. I got this. You probably better watch Arnie, but you don't need to watch me. I've been at Caiaphas' house. Of course, it doesn't look like it did in that day, except in one respect. But there, it's on, a, it's on a little bit of a hillside. It's probably the most meaningful place to me in, in uh, the Holy Land. There's uh, his house, and then inside where Jesus was interrogated, outside there's a courtyard, and now they have a, they have a rooster on a little pole, and Peter, you know, with his, with his head down. But inside, it's remarkable. First time I went in there, I wept. You walk in the door, and then they lead you down this little area where there's a there's a dungeon caved out of the rock. And when you get you actually go down into that dungeon, just a small room. When you go down in there, you look up, 
and you can see where they would have shackled the prisoners and hung them like this on their, with their wrists. I wept the first time I saw that because you just imagine Jesus being brutalized and, and then thrown in the pit. Jesus gave his life. He gave, invested himself in you that you could become something you couldn't be otherwise. Has anyone ever said to you, don't say that? Has anyone ever said to you, no, don't, don't, don't do that. You'll be sorry you did. Has anyone ever said to you, don't, please don't buy that? The question goes out. And you can respond in humility by saying, you know, maybe I better be careful here. Or you can hear someone say, I told you. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. Literally, they're saying he fights the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a passage in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 that I've, I've brought myself to a number of times. It says, if you're confronting someone about their sin... Restore them gently. You don't go after somebody. You restore them gently. Restore them. The goal is not to punish but to restore. And do that with gentleness. Why? Because you're vulnerable too. I could have done that same thing. I can't be in judgment to them. I can help them become right. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment if you would please. And I want to read... A section of scripture and I'm going to emphasize certain phrases in this passage of scripture. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, notice this phrase, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Notice this phrase, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not regard or consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Notice the phrase, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. In other words, when we humble ourselves, it's not a position of weakness, it's a position of strength. It will help others, and it will help us be everything that we can be by being humble, because we'll be safe. So let me go through these phrases again while you have your heads bowed for just a moment. Not me, no way, I could never do that. I could never do that. Yeah, you could. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be something great. Not with that kind of an attitude. Humble yourself. And the third phrase, 
I know what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. Each of those is a position of pride that will hinder God from being doing what in your life what he wants to do. So I want to ask with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, is there anyone here this morning and you recognize a point in your life where where you've you've become proud? Would you just offer that up to the Lord today and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You might even just slip up your hand and say, Yeah, Pastor, I do recognize that. And I want to I want that to change in my life. Yeah, many of you. Is there anybody here this morning who has never opened your life to faith in Christ? He came and gave his life, paid your price, and what he asks us to do is to accept what he has made provision for. He didn't come to chew us out. He comes to treat us in a way, sometimes with confrontation, sometimes with humility, sometimes with caution, so that we can change our mind and and receive what he's offering to us. If you've never done that, would you just slip up your hand this morning? Your hand would be saying, today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks for your goodness and for your grace in our life. And uh, we thank you for the people that we get to worship with today. We get to be with a room full of people who love you and are doing their best to serve you and follow you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.